it was a lot of kind of head ruffling and going, ah, oh, you know, he, you know, just doesn't know what farming is. And they were right, I didn't, but I did know what a business was. And, and I think that's the real change that we're seeing in agriculture um, is, well, hang on, this is a business. G'day and welcome to episode 30 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Oli Laleve, and today my guest is Justin Webb. He's the co-founder of AgriWeb, a farm management software that is supporting farmers to digitise their paddock records, replacing the old paper book. Justin's story spans many countries, many businesses, including founding several of these himself in the financial space. Justin speaks openly and candidly about not being a farming kid, but needing to step in and run the family operation when his father fell ill. It was this moment where as a businessman and a highly skilled mathematician, he looked at the farming business at an analytical level. Without pumping his tyres up, it was this moment where Justin and his co-founders have since gone on to redefine farm management in Australian agriculture and now are taking on the world. You may notice that this chat is slightly different to our other ones. We still jump into Justin's story, but we do find out a bit more about ag tech, about AgriWeb, and of the opportunities that agriculture as an industry more broadly plays in what will be the evolution of Inside the Farm Gate. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Justin, I suppose just getting started, mate. Welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast, and thanks for taking the time to join us today for a chat. Ollie, mate, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm hugely excited to be, uh, uh, to be part of it. And, and mate, thank you, thank you to you, and congratulations to you for you know, setting up this, uh, this podium to actually get a bit of the messaging out that... Um, you know, getting into agriculture, technology in agriculture, and the connection of agriculture to the urban community is not something to be worried about. Um, you know, you can get your boots dirty in many different ways. And, uh, and so thanks very much for having me on board. Now, I wanted to start off and, yeah, just, just seeing how the year's been for you. But obviously, you've got a farm down in Victoria, but you're based up in Sydney. So have you had the chance to get back down this way? Mate, you mentioned um, a few things about my background, and, and maybe we'll get into it in a sec. But um, yeah, my my uh, family comes from about five generations of farming, um, originally from sort of the very big grazing grazing properties um, uh, you know, uh, hundred years ago um, around Quilpie and 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 Western Queensland, and then down into into the Riverina, and then finally chasing the rainfall down into Western Victoria. Um, which is where we're largely based now. Um, and unfortunately, given that the AgriWeb office is based in Sydney, uh, I, I did I did make a run for it to get down there at the start of the um, at the start of the pandemic, and and spent um, was able to convince my wife to spend a good uh, nine weeks down down on the farm, um, and and that was pretty magic, especially for the little ones. Uh, but but since then, yeah, I've been locked out of the state, and 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 I've got to say, I was. When it was in the dark and cold months of, of July and August, and I was getting calls of, of everyone doing lambing runs in the middle of the night, I was I was desperately upset to be locked in Sydney <laughs> and not able to get down there to, to be to be knee deep in water pulling lambs. Uh, so yeah, um, I'm hoping that once all the hard work's done of marking, uh, the you know the quarantines will be lifted and and I can swan in and 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 <laughs> come and see how it's going. Uh, you're telling it very well. Well. From on base down, just near Geelong. So things are looking very good down this way, which I'm sure you're well aware of. Yeah, look, there's, you know, I think you never meet a farmer who's had a good day, but um, 
it's uh, it's tough to complain at the moment. Um, down in 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 Western Districts of Victoria, we've got feed up to um up to our knees, and um, you know the soil temps are up, and and the the moisture profile is still pretty full. So you know, as we continue to see some spring temperatures, I'm sure that we'll um we'll, we'll get a good good and long and long season, which is exciting because uh, we've had a few tough ones. But um you know that that it, it it's also about sometimes in the good years it's about not necessarily going to buy the new big screen tv and 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 making sure you do some reinvestment into into the infrastructure of the of the place to for the for the tough times to come yeah absolutely now it's easy to spend that cash when it comes in oh it burn, burns a hole in the pocket <laughs> that better electrical starts getting very very tempting very quickly absolutely <laughs> for you growing up like down that way did you want to be a farmer as a kid or what yeah well I mean, for for any of your listeners who know me, they'll they'll be sort of laughing when if I try to claim that I was growing up down there, because um, as you can probably tell from sort of the clip Tommy accent, um, I didn't I didn't spend that long uh, when I was in in Western Vic. My my old man's job took us overseas, and and I was um, I was at boarding school in England from when I was seven uh, until about eighteen, um, and so I spent most of my time overseas, uh, and then I did my university um, in America at, uh, at Harvard, which is in Boston, and then uh, went and worked in New York. Um, so I only came back to Australia uh, when I was, um, after a couple of years in New York and um, came back in 2005 um, and settled, uh, settled back in Sydney. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, my, my sort of career, uh, to jumpstart that question, I started, I ended up having a, an academic background in applied mathematics and, and economics, um, uh, studied what's now called artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, so really the application of um, evolutionary algorithms and smart mathematics to replicate the way the brain uh, processes information. Um, and, you know, that's a fancy way of saying that I learned how to use math to interpret um, and, and give you useful, you know, insights. Uh, and, and so I was, my career then was the application of that in finance. You know, started to look at, could I use that originally in horse racing um, to, you know, have a good punt like any, any proper country boy should. Um, and, you know, it decided that it was probably rather than follow in, in, in Waterhouse's footsteps, I thought, it, I thought it more appropriate to go down the finance angle. Um, and uh, I founded um, three different financial businesses, all in sort of asset management, sold the first one to Macquarie, the next one to Westpac, and the last one I founded up in Papua New Guinea um, that was all to do with creating the first, uh, first um, evidence and structure of governance around um, sovereign wealth fund and superannuation management. Um, uh, and so, you know, what that meant um, was I didn't have that much of a, a background in farming. Um, and, and this is a long way to answer your early question, but my, my old man um, in, during that period of, of working had, had fallen a bit ill. Um, he's thankfully since recovered, but the management of our, of our family farm sort of fell to me. And I hadn't grown up crutching sheep and I hadn't grown up knowing, um, you know, what was the best for best plan for rotational grazing. And, and, um, and so when I was back at the kitchen table and sort of surrounded by lots of advisors and input, I, I kept questioning from a, from a mathematician standpoint, from a commercial standpoint, why are we making these decisions about the farm? 
um, you know, what's our expected yield? If we're going to make this investment into paddock improvement, what's going to be our expected increase in kilogram dry matter per hectare? And there was a lot of kind of head ruffling and going, ah, oh, you, know, you, you know, Justin doesn't know what farming is. And they were right. I didn't, but I did know what a business was. And, and I think that's the real change that we're seeing in agriculture um, is, well, hang on, this is a business and I need to know my stock count and I need to know my, my, you know, my DSE per acre or per hectare. And I need to know my carrying capacity and I need to know how that changes with the dollars of investment I make because this is a real business and there's real accuracy in it. So that's where AgriWeb is born. Um, and uh, that's what's got me involved is walking away from finance and getting, you know, maybe applying the skills and the tools that I learned um, both uh, at, at Harvard and, and then Oxford um, back to, you know, making accurate decisions in the paddocks and pastures. Uh, so that's, that's what we're doing. Um, and that was a much longer answer than you probably wanted. No, I think you've covered the whole thing <laughs> in one answer. <laughs> so I want to like, I want to break this down a little bit and understand so obviously incredibly intelligent um, business minded, but also entrepreneur, which is an incredible. Well, mate, I wouldn't, I wouldn't paint me with too, too generous a brush. <laughs> now here comes the criticism. I'd be very lucky. And so, yeah, if this is, if this is the, the leading, the leading jab before the hook, then it, then I'll take it. Yeah. No, I'm about to punch you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Good. <laughs> and, and so looking down that the, the lens of the finance industry or, or any of these things that you're doing, like, what is it that drives you to get out of bed in the morning? So obviously that from finance to now farming, like what's the purpose in actually growing these businesses for you? What's the fulfillment you get? Well, actually it's a, it's a great question. Um, uh, and a tricky one, I think, because there's easy answers to give of like, oh, you know, this is good for society, which you know, may be true and probably is two thirds bullshit. Um, I think I always found it vaguely unsatisfying. Um, I love the mathematics. So when I was in finance, I found it vaguely unsatisfying. Love the mathematics, but there wasn't anything that fulfilling about, oh, look, here's a bunch of loaded people. Let's see if we can make them more loaded. Yeah. And and but there was something about being out in in pastures in paddocks having our customers be farmers where they're much they're almost much less forgiving um than even finance um you know, people go into finance and it's it's lots of money and it's it, again it's lots of bullshit um and and in in agriculture people for generations have been having to cut through the bullshit because they don't have the time so they need tools that'll actually work they need insights that'll work and and they're happy to be honest, but they're going to be upfront because they don't have the time to muck around. And I, and I found that really an interesting and exciting challenge. Um, you know, how can you take technology that has, it, it's done some amazing things, right? You can stand on a street corner and, and order a car to exactly where you want to go. And that's cool. You can, um, you know, you can find a long lost relative um, in 15 seconds in, you might not actually like the result if you do find them. <laughs> Um, but then there's other stuff that isn't quite so cool, right? Do we really need another app that enables me to send, you know, a, a picture of myself to another 30,000 people? Does anyone genuinely care what my next 120 characters are? Like it, it's, it's, and you know, we're seeing some pretty awful real results of this, um, going on globally, but in the United States more than anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what about technology? 
it sort of makes you stand back and go, what about technology, which is ultimately mathematics? Like, what about it can we actually apply to make a positive difference? And if you think about it, like, will Facebook be around in 50 or 100 years? Meh, maybe. Like, will Snapchat? Probably not. Will TikTok? I hope not. Um, <laughs> like, you know, the, but will we need to provide more food? Will we need to make the production of food more efficient? More, will we need to have higher productivity? Will we need to get more? I mean, ultimately, what are we saying, right? Um, ag tech at its core is the digitization of records and protocols of food production to increase productivity. And we, right, producers and consumers, are all seeking to sustainably increase output while maintaining or reducing inputs, right? Because they're not making more land. And so by definition, we need an increase in productivity and technology is box seated to be a solution to productivity paradoxes. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what gets me out of bed. It's like, cool, this is a real problem that will be faced for generations. And can I have some kind of an impact um, that is robust and, and outlasts me? Uh, and then at the same time, at the, at the immediate sense, I get to deal with people that are very forthcoming, very upfront, probably pretty tricky at times. But then if you can solve a problem for them, God, it's pretty, it's really satisfying. You start mm -hmm. seeing the succession of farming. Uh, you start seeing, you know, the ability of, of multi-generational landowners who don't have to sell the farm because they've been able to increase their output. You start seeing, you know, foreign investment flowing into um, countries because they themselves can see in real time the output and the increase of efficiency from farming. So yeah, uh, tell me something that's more satisfying than that. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll look for a career change. <laughs> no, that's incredible. Right? So a question. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank regional client council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. I've got on this now. So you're talking about yeah, the productivity of food and, and given this year with COVID, we're now seeing that there's a whole lot of hype and buzz now around quality assurances. And when, when you're running a business like AgriWeb or, or any, when you're just founding a business, how do you go staying focused on what the initial purpose was and not chasing these opportunistic ideas as they pop up oh mate um I, i'm probably the worst person at this like i am i call it shiny light syndrome i am <laughs> i'm dory from <laughs> from finding nemo i can't i am awful at it and you know i'll stand on panels or go to you know startup sessions and and preach focus and then I'll go immediately back to my desk and like chase the latest shiny light. So <laughs> it's a problem. Of course it is. Um, you know, there's so much opportunity. There's so much that we can look to solve, but 
like anything, you've got to do it step by step. You've got to really build that muscle of focus. You've got to do the boring stuff. Like it's not all exciting. It's not all um, beer and skittles. It's um, it's about getting the basic building blocks in place. And and sorry, we mentioned Agrib, but don't even I haven't said what it is. Like Agrib is a farm management software. Um, now, what is that? And it's that is the digitization. It's taking the notebook in in farmers' top top pockets and creating a platform to make that digital. Making it, making an app on the phone so that they can enter the data that would, they would normally be recording in their head or in their notebook. That's not that sexy. That's not that cool, right? Mm. <laughs> but, but you know, Landmark and Elders have been handing out those notebooks for a while. So, is it really that awesome? Well, no. At its core, it's not. But what you can do with that information once you have done it, once you've digitized it, what the farmer in the paddock can you know, how quickly they can you know, facilitate a data-driven decision. I've had, you know, how many cattle can I keep in this paddock for how long before I should move them out in order to make sure I've got optimal regeneration of this pasture so that I can increase my carrying capacity. Um, how about when I bring these, sheep, these cattle or sheep through the yards and I run them over the scales, I can know exactly which animals are going to project forward to hit my grid weight in three months and which ones are going to miss so I can draft off the light ones and know exactly how much supplementary feed I need to feed them and also track what were the genetics, what was the sire of those ones that are coming in light to make sure that I'm improving the whole quality of my herd. Like these are things that you couldn't do when you were just on, you know, going off roughly what was in your head or in your notebook. Like these are things that, that, are all of a sudden unlocked. And when you think of that on a big scale, like imagine how much more value agriculture could provide, not just in the like billions of dollars of traceable quality and marketable provenance, but what about access to like the cumulative benefits of productivity and, and like socioeconomic benefits across like um, passing farms from generation to generation, recreating jobs in the rural enterprise. All of these things are, are massive. And all of that comes from a really boring, simple, let's just digitize the notebook. Mm. And so the application for you guys, do you, do you see it focused on where the money is now in the, in the developed world? Or do you see this as being a transformational opportunity for smallholder farmers all over the globe? Look, I think the the opportunity for ag tech is unquestionably global. Um, and you're seeing it. There's some amazing uh, sort of mobile phone-based, um, not even applications, they're almost just simple text message-based platforms that are that are doing financing, that are doing, you know, purchasing and sale that are bringing together co-ops across India, Bangladesh, Africa. So yeah, I, I think there's massive opportunity. For us specifically, uh, we are being very focused, one, sticking in red meat. So it's really sheep and cattle production. And therefore for us, the big, you know, the lead markets are Australia, New Zealand, um, the UK, the US, Brazil and Canada. Um, and to an element, South Africa. And, and you know, sure, there's, there will be growth beyond that, but um, for, a, for a, a relatively small startup um, that, you know, is still in Australia that can't travel anywhere, that'll, that'll do for now. <laughs> yeah. 
maybe a couple of years off. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so flipping back to how the business started, I think there's, there's two questions I want to understand here. One around the people you brought together, um, which, yeah, I'll, I'll think I'll park that for a second, but in terms of, so disrupting an industry and taking people on a journey, whether it's investors or, or customers, but from those very kind of the foundational days of looking at the issue of people not having um, or being able to translate their, the information they were recording. How, how did you go about actually communicating that to people in a way that they could understand and on, on that journey? Because it was, it's still such a new or was such a new thing back in, in 2013, 2014. Well, yeah. I mean, when I was leaving, um, I was working at a, a large American um, uh, asset management firm called BlackRock. Um, and I remember when I handed in my resignation, um, my boss, who is who is based in Hong Kong, said, um, uh, "What are you doing? How are you how are you leaving the world's biggest asset management firm to go go start Tinder for cows?" And and so you know this um, this concept of of technology and agriculture, I think, is one that's only really just just taking hold. Um, so sure, it's early days, but two, I think people recognize, as we've discussed already on this, um, the, the scale of the opportunity, right? We need to feed uh, nine, 10 billion people, depending on the estimates you look at, um, by 2050. So cool, there's, there's a real demand and, and we need to feed them with higher quality food, with higher protein, um, you know, middle income, disposable middle, middle incomes in China and Indonesia are only going up. And you know, so there's a bit, couple billion people that are demanding um, higher protein, and you know, immediately there are there are elements being drawn out in this of uh, alternative meats, right? That are a good supplement to the industry, but they they don't replace it um, because they just cannot produce that amount and also it's still questionable whether or not the the sustainability of the that those uh, industries are, are fully up to speed i mean it, it, i think it's worth addressing the controversial element of of you know farming as um you know, having a negative impact on the environment well if the unfao figures are to be believed um farming contributes 18% of greenhouse gases. Well, okay. Um, and livestock production, about, about half of that. Well, um, the, the difference between livestock production and, and particularly you know, grazing, and grazing and any other industry is that every other industry is looking to quote unquote, reduce their carbon footprint. Well, agriculture is the only industry that through encouraged and incentivized sort of proliferation of technology and operational practices, we can become sustainably and demonstrably carbon negative, right? We can pull more carbon out of the atmosphere by regenerative grazing than, and carbon sequestration than the industry produces. That no other industry, the car industry can't go, oh, cool, we will like make batteries to the point that we'll be carbon negative. Like that doesn't yeah. happen. So it's, it's amazing, much like this, um, the natural element of agriculture, we can have this inspirational impact beyond just let's produce more food. And so therefore, to your original question, which you might have been wondering if I was ever going to get to, how can you inspire and therefore 
you know, tie talent into this. Well, come and join, uh, you know, come and have a crack at making a, a difference to how we're going to feed the future, how we're going to reduce or sustainably um, produce food, reduce carbon impact, you know, change climate change. Like there, there's nothing else that you can come into and go, yeah, let's change the world literally. Again, mm. not by Snapchat, by actually changing things that matter to, to the planet. And I think that's pretty awesome. The other side of it is what we talked about at the last point is focus on doing something small and tangible and focus on who those users are. So create a very simple, clear, value-added solution to the basic you know, building blocks of the industry. Digitizing data, like creating um, uh, fish food, um, that, that can come from a sustainable indoor production. Like there's, there's so many different elements where we can start to do this um, and start to have a global impact. Mm. And, and so on that, like obviously we've got the technologies which are enabling these changes to happen, whether it's the carbon drawdown or whatnot. In terms of people who are filling the, the gap or, or businesses that are actually focusing on creating that understanding, where does that opportunity sit or do you see people doing a good job of that, making it translatable to the everyday consumer? Yeah, look, I think the challenges, and that's another great question. Um, Challenges in in this one, um, adoption. There is a ton of stuff out there and, and I really do feel sympathy for, you know, average cocky in, in, in the paddock that stand there being like, wait, what? I've got a drone and a satellite and a sensor and, and some like magic drones going to go out and deliver my calf, like, you know, spot my fields, cut my wheat and go check my post for me. And, and if only I buy 12 of these things and have 16 apps and, and, you know, that's, that's a really kind of tough thing. And frankly, the, that comes back to us, the innovators in the industry being more collaborative. Um, we're not in competition with each other. Like we think we are, but really not. Like the industry is so enormous that we need to collaborate. We need to work together. We need to have a like work at least to have single interfaces that a farmer goes, okay, cool. Here's my platform. This is how they all plug in together. And here's how all these insights come together for one dashboard that I can make decisions. That's going to increase adoption. At the same time, we've got to get some government support. I mean, um, I'll probably get probably piss a few people off, but you know, David Littleproud standing up and announcing what a one point three million dollar fund. Are you? I mean, that's that's laughable, right? Um, the one point three million dollars is less than forty uh, percent of a single company's average seed round. So at what point is $1.3 million going to make a difference to the same industry that the same person is asking to be the next $100 billion industry in, in Australia? So, you know, let's get, some, let's, be, let's get serious about having government support, not just, not just a headline and, and soundbite. Yeah, um, can I jump in on, on that? Yeah, please. Because so in Australia, we've got incredible research and development, but the actual commercialization of these solutions in food and ag to me there's very few companies which are actually commercially making money and expanding do you think there's a an issue with the mindset of like this nearly handout get the government funding or this perpetual startup notion as opposed to scaling failing and 
going again. Yeah, so look, I think it's, uh, it's two sides. One, in Australia, we are amazingly box-seated to be the leaders in innovation. And frankly, we are innovation in, in ag tech. Can we be the leaders in innovation in fintech? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, do, do, do people wake up on Wall Street and go, I wonder what happened in Sydney and Melbourne last night? Not really. But if, you know, Australia is the, is the biggest exporter of, of um, second biggest exporter of beef. It's the biggest exporter of sheep meat. It's the second biggest exporter of grain. Like we are massive on the agricultural um, world stage. And, and so, yes, I think that when we, when, when one, and I've got personal experience in this, when you develop a technology and prove it with product market fit in Australia, when you go to international funding groups, they sit up and they take notice. That's not true if you have a consumer app or like if you create Facebook in Australia, it doesn't matter if everyone in Australia is on it, you go to, you know, uh, San Francisco and they're like, well, that's great, but that's just, you know, the population of LA. So we're going to, you know, we're going to need you to scale. Whereas in ag tech, they sit up and they take notice. That's why some of the world's leading companies were founded either in Australia or by Australians, um, you know, ag world and, and agri digital and some of these global leading industries are, are, are really starting to dominate. Equally, the startup ecosystem here is quite, is is actually pretty cool. Like there there are there are, are startup um, hubs, there are accelerators, there are ag tech investments that are available. The there are some government support elements that I do commend. Right, the R and D grant, which is which is great, um, does commend a lot of. Uh, growth and innovation right the way across everything, not just ag to ag specific. But I do think like, let's play to our strengths. And and again, $1.3 million across 144,000 farms in Australia. Well, that's $9 a farm. I mean, you tell me if you reckon that's going to make the difference for us to become, you know, uh, the next hundred billion dollar industry for Australia. Um, <laughs> you know, as, as an example, to look at this as a multiplier effect, um, we went out to our users and and asked them. So rather than us saying it, and like what, how much use do you get? And the feedback was that the average user across, we've got about twenty percent of all the livestock in Australia. So the average user across our sort of six thousand, uh, six seven thousand farmers is um, they get a productivity increase of about nine point two percent per year. That's you know that's roughly equal to sort of um, forty three thousand dollars on average. Now, in the global context, so if we translate that to the UK, that's a GDP contribution of five billion pounds, you know, nearly, nearly about nine billion Aussie. In the US context, right, that would be equal to 21 and a half billion in productivity gains. And so again, right, super simple, but why, why are we not playing to our strengths here in Australia and really supporting the innovation in this space? Why are we not looking at looking at how much we have a competitive advantage in this agricultural innovation? We have great farmers. Let's start innovating and then exporting that capability to the rest of the world. Yeah, shit. When you start running out those numbers, holy hell, it's it's amazing, right? And yeah, and that's all. That's because we in Australia, the farming community, really have. You know, we've got experience going through droughts, so we know how to manage water well. We've got experience mm. growing, you know, growing crops and in, in stuff that no sane sane person would ever try and plant a seed into. 
and um and and you know we can run and breed animals to be incredibly productive uh with you know fertility rates that are right up amongst the leaders um you know with a with a nod to um to our friends across the ditch with some of um some of their their sheep breeding you know i just think that we have an ecosystem here that that we can be the absolute clear world leaders and why not like let's do it yeah, absolutely. We are a competitive bunch. So if we can be the best in the world at something, we better get on with it. Well, exactly. <laughs> Clarky's coming back into form and let's go. <laughs> now, I've got a question which I like to finish on, um, which I've asked, been asking everyone. But essentially, it's a mix, mixture of life advice and I suppose tying in agriculture to it. But if you were to talk to, say, students in year 10 or 11 at high school and talk about kind of that, that transition into the real world of um, finding a job and starting to look at careers. But for you, what would be your advice to them around considering the agriculture industry as an area to look at? Well, I think, you know, one, I've got a lot of sympathy for um, uh, those coming into the workforce at the moment, right? Millennials and and post-millennials get a pretty rough time of it. Um, whereas I reckon every generation is pretty optimistic and entitled. Um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a fundamental shift in the skill set that, that are required by the industries of the future. You know, to start very big, uh, companies that um, are in the S&P 500, so the, the index of the largest 500 companies um, on the New York Stock Exchange, so I'll just call it proxy for the largest in the world, about um, 100 years ago, that tenure was 70 years. Um, over the past uh, 100 years, that tenure is reduced to 13 years. So that, what does that mean? It means that companies are turning over massively, right? No one, 15 years ago, no one was telling you that, oh, the biggest four companies in the world are going to be software companies. They were oil and they were manufacturing and, you know, GE and Excel. So what does this mean to to people graduating now, it means that they need to come at this with a new skill set and a new mindset of where they're going to be working. A startup isn't necessarily a startup. A startup is is Atlassian, it's Google, it's it's Facebook. And so, okay, how do you start to position yourself and where where can you pick up the skill set um, that will be valuable to companies like that and and therefore valuable to you? That's one side of it. And the second side is, you mentioned agriculture, right? Well, agriculture, as we just talked about for, you know, for the past half an hour, is, is box-seated to, to have the proliferation of technology, to have the same thing done to it as every other industry has had over the past 20, 30, 50 years. The, the infiltration, proliferation of beneficial technologies have meant that this positive transformation takes place. So therefore, if you are graduating from from high school, from university, from um, from if you if, if you you know before going to high school and you're learning your trade, consider how the skill set that you learn can be applied to the where agriculture will be, not necessarily where it is now, and ultimately that's going to be in a place of technology. And so, can you start to be a value add in that space? And I think that makes it pretty exciting. You. Mr. and Mrs. high school student right now have grown up in, unlike any other generation before you, living in a, a remote connected digital world. 
So you already have a facility with these tools that, that absolutely stumps your, your grandfather. And so therefore you can come at these problems in a very different way. You, you should learn from the experiences they've had, but come at the problems in a different way. So hopefully that gives a bit of inspiration. It's like, you know, get into agriculture, why? Because it's something that's gonna be robust, it's gonna change the world. Get into agriculture, why? Because your skills put you in an advantage to everyone else that sits in the industry right now. Get into agriculture, why? Because it's actually a pretty satisfying thing to be doing, like being out in the paddocks and, 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 ha and having the sun rise, whether you're working in technology or whether you're driving the tractor is a pretty cool space to be. And, and frankly, I wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, awesome. Well, Justin, thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're a very busy man, so really appreciate you jumping on for a chat to find out more about yeah, your, your background and your story. No, mate, much appreciated. I would probably say that the past half hour has maybe been the most productive of Agareb because I've kept my grubby fingers out of anything. <laughs> the team will probably thank you and ask me to come back on. Perfect. Oh, we'll have you any time. <laughs> um, well, Ollie, thanks again. And and to all the listeners, um, if, if you do want to reach out and, and learn any more about, about Agareb, please do. Um, and uh, jump on the website, uh, give us a bell. Um, would love to speak to you and to, to any of those students and um, uh, but whether they're in high school, university that are looking for the next steps, I'm more than happy. Doors always open. Be more than happy to have a chat because uh, we're always looking for, for talent and, um, and those, those looking to make a difference in the industry. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that chat because I certainly did. One thing I do love about this podcast and the op is the opportunity to ask these founders questions that I've been wondering. So as you're going through the podcast series and you're hearing what I'm asking them, you may hear me trying to draw out kind of my own um, opportunity to ask these people questions that I probably wouldn't get to know otherwise. So I hope not only is it beneficial for me, I really do hope these conversations are beneficial for you. We're always looking for more guests and would love for you guys to help us out. We've got the run through to the end of the year. I can't believe we're now the middle of October, but we will be taking a break over Christmas. Um, and if you guys have anyone who you'd like us to interview before then and into the new year, please reach out. I look forward to joining you guys again next week. Look after yourselves and stay safe and stay sane.